was a lot of AI products coming out, and I wanted to get into the head of someone who's building one of them to understand the way they see the role of the system integrator. It's the MSP, the IT services company, but how are they thought of by the people making the products? Martin Corrin joins me today on this bonus episode of The Business of Tech. MSP Global is the place to be to shape the future of services. MSPs, VARs, MSSPs, if you work in digital enablement, you need to be at the Nürburgring. Discover products, form new partnerships, connect with top leaders, and hear from MSP industry voices, as well as rock legend Bob Geldof. You'll get to enjoy the legendary Nürburgring racetrack, perfect for the theme of driving digital transformation. MSP Global, November 14 to 16, and registration is free with the code MSP Radio or the link in the show notes. MSPglobal.com and code MSP Radio to attend for free. Artem, thanks for joining me today. Great to be here. So let's let's start out. You've got you guys have an interesting concept about the way that you're working with your your assembly platform and the way that it works in kind of meetings and transforming flow. You've got this idea of asking your assembly. And tell me a little bit about what the concept is behind the way that you're putting together the product and the AI. The idea behind assembly is that uh Historically, you had technology facilitating your conversation. So you had the Zooms of the world, the Microsoft Teams, the Google Meets. And so there's a technology that helps you connect and helps the teams communicate from remote locations. But until recently, there were any if, uh, there were few, if any, technologies that actually participated during the meeting and could do something with the information they've get, gathered through the meeting. And this is the purpose of assembly. Assembly attends your team meetings just like a human would. So you can invite Assembly to join your Microsoft Teams meeting or your Zoom or Google Meet. And it will show up just like a human would and hang out with you and your team, listen in on the conversation, and then afterwards present you really cool results and uh, help you get more work done. So give me a practical example of the way that you're envisioning the the assembly and working with teams to 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 provide better outcomes uh with a representative from a very large tech company and we were discussing a few projects and going through some details of a project idea and then he goes uh okay well we're gonna have to put together this statement of work this sow and uh spend some time on that and i'll get back to you to which I say, well, if we had this meeting in assembly, we were meeting in person over lunch, but if we had the same meeting in, with assembly attending, you can talk to assembly and after the meeting and say, draft an SOW based on my conversation with this client. And it will literally create a statement of work for you that you can just adjust as needed and you're done. So one of the things I've been talking a lot about on the show is particularly for those 
IT services companies and managed services providers. It's pretty important to get some understanding of the, the models and the way these technologies work so that you can help your customers understand, you know, potential, potential unexpected outcomes. Can you give me a little bit of insight into the way you're putting this together in a way to, to prevent things like hallucinations? Like we don't want it to be coming up with bad ideas or, or using bad information. So give me a little bit of an insight into the way that's, that you've put guardrails in place to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. Sure. And uh, that's a very broad uh, concern of anyone uses, using this technology today. I think when we're talking about modern AI, we most often, a, a bit unfair to the rest of the AI world, but we most often talk about large language models. And the latest generation of large language models, I like to think of them as a new kind of a technology building material. So very similar to, let's say, when carbon fiber was invented. And so as a material, it comes from different manufacturers. So you may have, first of all, different grades of car carbon fiber. And similarly, you have different grades of quality of large language model technology. And so you probably want to start with that. What is the grade of model that you're working with? And different grades of models will have different propensities for different kinds of badness in the answers they generate. Uh, ranging from hallucinations, which are always fun, um, and this could show up in different kinds of environments. So, for example, it could show up in transcription, where if you have a weird language that was trained in a weird data set, it could tr transcribe the conversation, and in the end, it will say, to be continued on the next episode, even though, even though that was never part of it. Right? So, you can have hallucinations, um, you, you can have... Um, displacements, uh, you can have private PII, uh, personal identifying information concerns. Um, there are all kinds of interesting things that can happen. And so once you first figure out the grade of the LLM that you're using and what kind of propensities it, it has, then you can put in, um, as you mentioned, guardrails to try to control for that. And so depending on the kinds of issues that the foundational LLM has, uh, that you're working against, and also depending on your pointed use case of how important is it to be very, very sharp and accurate with your result, you're going to want to determine the kinds of tech you're putting in place to, to prevent that. So we deal with a professional environment, we deal with working teams, but we don't deal with mission critical, right? And so the kinds of guardrails we have in place is we do some basic checking. So we do things like profanity checking. We do things like you know, ensuring a professional context in the kinds of conversational responses that our agents provide, AI agents, of course. <clears throat> but we don't, we don't kind of hard uh, interrogate the response. There is a way to hard interrogate the response in, in other kinds of applications. One way is to use adversarial language models to kind of talk to each other and kind of vet those results. But we, in our, in our area of practice, we haven't had to do that yet. Interesting. It's, I like your, your analogy. The one I've been using with on the show is actually I'm borrowing from the guys over the tech meme ride home uh, and extending it. They, they talked about the, the various models like grapes going into winemaking, right? And that you would use different grapes and you would get different outcomes. I liked that particular model because that makes MSPs and IT services providers, the sommeliers. And I like that because that's a, a, a good high-end kind of business. In your model, the IT services companies would be the general contractors, right? They're, they're helping to pick the right components going into the build to make sure that it's done. Now, 
in that thinking, if we either put them in the general contract or the summary, whatever they're thinking, they need to be thinking about the kinds of challenges in adoption of the technology. I jump to the one that we talk about a lot, but what are the ones that you think are the key challenges that these that, that you know the general contractor needs to keep in mind when adopting these kinds of technologies? One is, of course, the security and privacy. And so making sure that at all points along the way where the data gets gets passed along, you have a lot of vetting and confidence in those providers that pass that data. Uh, so that's that's the first piece. Um, I would say that um, another area uh, you probably want to want to um, uh, think about um, when you um, when you're choosing which models to host. So there's there's hosted there's hosted models and then there's in-house models, and uh, both kind of have um uh some advantages some disadvantage for example for hosted models one thing that you have to be careful with is that these models are constantly evolving and with each iteration of evolution they may start to respond to the kind of inquiries you send them very differently and so there has to be a rigorous test facility in place to make sure that the kinds of answers you're getting from a hosted foundational model continues to be consistent with the kind of results that you expect so I'd say, you know, initially, those are a couple of things that come to mind. That makes a lot of sense if you're the people kind of implementing the models directly. But let's take it a little bit more abstractly, because, you know, if, uh, if a provider is working with, a, with you know, with assembly and, and helping their customers get it rolled out, they're not the ones selecting the models. You've already done that, right? So it, it, what, what are what questions should they be asking you, the product people, to get the insights to help make their customers feel comfortable with the use of these technologies? Yeah, I think in that sense, they're, we're probably looking more at the adoption aspect of the curve. Um, I think a lot of it is engendering trust in the fact that this tech can generate the responses you need to help you get the work done. And so a lot of it today, and I think this is relevant to just the time we're in today, is that there, there isn't a lot of experience broadly with using AI-based tools and tech. And what that means is that you just don't think about it first and you kind of maybe avoid using it because you're like, ah, I know how to do this. I don't, right? Like, like the SOW example, the guy knows there's, there's a lot of really cool AI out there that can help them, but you know, they, they just do it the way they do it. They write it by hand. And so I think for, uh, system implementers and integrators, there's a lot of care and thought that needs to be taken into facilitating the adoption. So coming up with exciting use cases, demonstrating how they can be helpful in real life. A lot of the, the interesting thing is with a lot of this technology, it's not like we used to build in the day, which I call functional tech. Functional tech meaning it's a technology that's uh, made to do one specific thing and it does that thing exactly the right way every time. AI is different. It's not functional. It learns and it's creative and it's very often not reproducible, meaning that it will give you different answers uh, on the same question. And so the the idea behind AI is to understand the kinds of uses that are possible and then to get your user base comfortable with actually um, actually implement implementing AI in their workflow. One other thing that's really important is that you know AI for AI's sake is not interesting. 
there's it's it's applied AI, meaning that it has to get you the result that you need. And the more sharp the result has to be, the more difficult it is for AI to do it well. And for a system, an AI tool to effectively work with your team and your organization, it very likely will need to integrate into your application workflows. And so those integration points, um, making sure that the tools you're using and the answers you're getting have those integration points. And let's say, for example, you have an AI that can identify a task like assembly does. Well, you want to make sure that that tool will be able to drop that task into your task management environment. And then suddenly you have magic where at the end of your meeting, your tasks automatically appear in your task management app or your to-do list, which is kind of what assembly does. So you brought up something really interesting and, and kind of the area that I want to understand, particularly as you're the product guy who's thinking a lot about the way this is going to work. How much of that task division and that integration point do you think of as your role on the product side? And how much of that do you think as the implementer, you know, the, the in, in, in an IT services world, you know, that external consultant who's coming in to make it work in the organization? What balance do you think between those two roles? Like what's yours as the product and what's theirs as the implementer? Uh, I see it. I see it as we're very much working or playing on the same team. And so ultimately we want to achieve a valuable outcome for the users of this product. On the product side, we try to get as far as we can to make it as easy as we can to get product into people's hands, working in their existing workflow with as turnkey as possible, uh, with as little impact to their existing enterprise architecture or app ecosystem. It's something that should just kind of turn up and work with the apps you have, with the calendars you use, with the meetings you already conduct. So from our side, we, we try to make it as easy as possible to drop in and start working. But then, of course, uh, on the integrator side or the, the solution implementer side, it, it requires a deep understanding of that client's existing processes and some creative thinking as to where it makes sense to drop these pieces of data. You know, maybe, you know, these meeting notes should go in the Salesforce. Um, maybe these tasks should go into your, into your Jira system. And so the, the implementers need to go deeper and understand the specific environment and actually then are able to very uh, specifically apply the tool in that environment. I don't know if this is a perfect analogy, but maybe one way to think about it is like we're building the airplane and we want to make the airplane as like auto flying as we possibly can, but as as hard as we may try, you still need a pilot because there's weather conditions, there's different kinds of airports, all sorts of weird things happen. And so we want to empower the pilot. In this case, the pilot would be the integrator as much as we can. But ultimately, it's you know using our tech, the pilot will navigate the plane to get people to the, their destination. So. I'm kind of curious how you think about it as your functional tech versus what AI is uh, capable of distinction is really interesting to me because in a very functional world, you know, it's very reliable, you know, it, it's, it's very repeatable, but in this world, it's not. And thus on the business implementer side, it's also not necessarily going to have the same result. How do you frame that in your head to test for success when it's that variable? So the the way we think about it, so first of all, you you don't want to get into a place where 
you're applying an AI that's not as predictable as it needs to be to accomplish the thing that it needs to accomplish. And so there's a, there's a qualitative and subjective assessment there where is the technology high quality enough that it's useful uh, in day-to-day without you know, distracting, without taking away? Um, that really depends on the use case um, because you know, we, we, we certainly wouldn't want to put a feature into a user's hands that we say, oh, you know, it usually works, but like sometimes it doesn't work. That's where trouble starts. And it's kind of funny because a lot of sort of like these personal creative kind of apps that were the first, let's say, batch of AI applications around large language models. So these are like Jenkins and Writer and, and apps like that, where their output is uh, naturally just creative. There's no one right answer. And those apps were very successful because whatever they produce, like let's say you ask it to, to create a blog and it creates a blog and there's no real, you know, as long as the blog is on the topic you asked about, that's good enough. But once you start dealing with pointed solutions like we do, like task generation, for example, um, there is a lot of factors you have to account for. Like you don't want to capture everything that sounds like a task in the meeting because there's no usefulness of uh, in leaving a meeting with 50 tasks on your list that you're, you don't need. But also if you do too few and you miss some important tasks, that's also bad. And so you have to make sure that the technology implement picks the right task set, understands that task set well, correctly understands who's the signer and assignee, correctly understands the due date and things like that. And so in those cases, it's up to the product to create the right response. I wouldn't put it on the integrator to be to 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 have to control for quality. I think that's that's recipe for disaster. And I think it's on to the product if you pick a certain use case that whether it's AI powered or not, that the quality of the result is correct for the kind of use case that it is. Well, that's clearly an interesting balance. And, and I think we're, something uh, we're all going to be thinking about. This has been really helpful for me to frame the conversation. If people are interested in learning more, how, where, how can they get more resources uh, on what you're up to? Uh, www.assembly.ai, S-E-M-B-L-Y. So we're the premier AI teammate um, that you know, does meeting notes, does tasks, uh, has an AI chatbot, and all these things can flow into your workflow applications. And you can find out more. Very easy to sign on and start using. It's turnkey, no downloads or in, or browser installs or anything like that required. It's kind of magical in how it works. Um, so that's one place. You can also find Assembly AI on LinkedIn or myself also on LinkedIn as Artem Corin and find out more about us that way. Awesome. Artem, thanks for joining me. This has been super interesting. Thank you. Eureka Process is now a Gazinta company. Eureka Process, the consulting team focused on you streamlining your MSP, is now part of Gazinta. The SaaS company focused on empathy and getting shit done quickly and correctly. What does that mean? First, Gazinta Mobius customers will get even better customer support for their products. The Eureka team will be looking at ways to deliver better customer support and give their thoughts on how to make the products better. It also means that you can come to Kazinta for more of your consulting needs when you want to own a business, not be owned by your business. Process Consulting will give you the freedom you need. Visit gazinta.com slash Eureka to learn more. 
The Business of Tech is written and produced by me, Dave Sobel, under ethics guidelines posted at businessof.tech. Like the content? Support the show at patreon.com slash mspradio or buy our Why Do We Care merch at businessof.tech. If you want to reach our listeners, visit mspradio.com slash engage. Part of the MSP Radio Network.